This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this week on Face the Nation, with the world still battling COVID's Delta surge, preparations are now underway to combat a new threat. The Omicron variant has now been identified in at least 16 states in the U.S. and more than three dozen countries. As scientists around the world race to unlock its secrets, President Biden says the new strain is cause for concern, but not panic. We're going to fight this variance with science and speed, not chaos and confusion. Mr. Biden says he's doing everything that needs to be done to combat COVID, doubling down on his push for vaccines and boosters, plus providing more access to testing, both for the virus and on levels of antibodies providing immunity. We got to beat it back before we shut it down. In order to beat COVID, we have to shut it down worldwide. Will the president's tighter testing protocols for international travel, set to begin Monday, help? And why is travel restricted from some countries with Omicron, but not others? We'll get the latest from Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont's state reported a new case of Omicron Saturday. They're also seeing a Delta winter surge. He'll be with us. Plus, we'll check in with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. We'll also hear from the WHO's COVID lead, Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove, about what is known about Omicron. Francis D'Souza, the CEO of Illumina, a company working to identify different viral variants and stop their spread in real time, will also be here. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We find ourselves today with many more questions and answers when it comes to Omicron, the new highly contagious coronavirus strain discovered in Africa. What we do know is that we are far from being done with the Delta variant. Senior national correspondent Mark Strassman has more from Atlanta. In COVID America, Omicron's the Greek letter that means, here we go again. Oh, God. Northwest Philly. No. Are you serious? A new variant, a new call to arms to put shots in them. We're actively taking steps to stay ahead of Omicron. We'd better. Omicron's a shadowy threat. Still unclear whether this highly mutated variant's the most contagious yet. And consider a different worry. Omicron hysteria. It's a potential distraction from New York. We have a much bigger current challenge with the Delta variant. To Washington State. It would be really sad if people lose their lives today because they've been killed by the Delta variant while they're worrying about Omicron. Delta is dominating the U.S. now. 99.9% of this country's current caseload. In 47 states, cases trend up. Roughly 76% of U.S. counties considered high transmission areas. Hotspots? 
Iowa. Wednesday saw a 2021 record for COVID patients hospitalized, three in four of them unvaccinated. Massachusetts averaging more than 3,000 new cases a day for the first time since January. And Michigan, COVID hospitalizations almost doubled in one week. A possible storm of community spread because of Thanksgiving. All those travelers and family get-togethers with COVID uninvited but present. It'll be a week, maybe two, before data starts quantifying the infection impact. Also ahead, our second COVID Christmas. What do scientists want? The answer is vaccines, vaccines, and vaccines. Roughly 70% of Americans have had at least one shot. Only about 24% age 18 and up have had boosters. Waning protection is a genuine worry. Even fully vaccinated people can become spreaders after four months. Omicron has created one surge already in vaccinations. 2.2 million shots given last Thursday, including more than 1 million boosters. That's the highest single day total since May. If you are fully vaccinated before June, it's time for you to go get your booster. Omicron has prompted another travel change. This one starting at midnight tonight. International arrivals have to pass a pre-departure COVID test. The window used to be three days, now it's one. And that's regardless of nationality or vaccination status. Margaret? Mark Strassman, thank you. Concern over COVID is escalating around the world too, with a lot of attention focused on the ground zero of Omicron, South Africa. Senior foreign correspondent Elizabeth Palmer has more from her new post in Seoul, South Korea. The fact is the vast majority of COVID disease in the world is still caused by the Delta variant. It's hammering Germany in a fourth wave that had alarmed medical staff in Bavaria so much they lit up the ICU facility in red as a warning. And the Air Force has been drafted in to transfer patients to hospitals that can still cope. South Koreans, all strictly masked, are lining up in droves to be tested as the country reels under the biggest spike since the pandemic began. And Delta has been especially lethal in Russia, where it's killed more than 75,000 mostly unvaccinated people this fall. So the fact that Omicron is on the way now is deeply worrying. Early signs from South Africa suggest it's very contagious. Infections around Johannesburg tripled in just three days last week. The government is now doubling down, pushing everyone, especially the reluctant, to get a shot. As for reinfection, another South African study yet to be peer-reviewed suggests Omicron does override immunity in people who've already had COVID, so they catch it again. Restrictions on travel may have slowed Omicron's spread, but haven't stopped it. In Norway, at this restaurant, there was a super-spreader event last week. Oslo had been loosening restrictions, and then a company with South African operations threw a party. 13 guests were infected with the Omicron variant, with even more likely to come. The big question now is how much protection will vaccinations and boosters give us against Omicron? Scientists around the world are racing to find out. Meanwhile, the emergence of Omicron has really highlighted the need for a solid global strategy to deal with this pandemic. As the WHO has been saying since the very beginning, nobody's safe until we're all safe. Margaret? Elizabeth Palmer, thank you.
We want to go now to former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who sits on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning. We have heard from the administration there are a couple of dozen Omicron cases now here in the United States. Dr. Fauci said this morning, too early still, but it does not look there's a great degree of, of severity to it. Is it too early to say that? It's too early to say that. Um, right now, the infections, the best data is coming out of South Africa because they have more, they simply have more cases. And right now, all the evidence is that a lot of the people who are presenting with infection from this new variant are people who've been previously infected with Delta. Remember, South Africa had a very devastating Delta wave. Um, probably more than 90% of people in South Africa who are unvaccinated were infected with Delta. So we don't know whether or not this new strain is inherently um, less virulent. So it's a, a more moderate strain of COVID. It's not causing as severe illness or whether it's presenting that way simply because it's infecting people who already have some pre-existing immunity. So they have some protection from COVID. So they're getting infected, but they're not getting as sick. There was one study out of the Tishwani uh, Hospital, which is in Pretoria, a very hard hit part of South Africa that came out yesterday. They looked at about 166 patients who've been admitted to the hospital since the beginning of the epidemic in South Africa. They found 38 who were infected with COVID. Most were incidental pickups. They were people who were presenting to the hospital for an obstetrical reason or surgical reason who were found to be COVID positive on admission. Of the nine people who had COVID pneumonia in the hospital, all were unvaccinated. So the question right now is whether or not this is reinfecting people who have Delta immunity and haven't been vaccinated, or whether it's going to also infect people uh, who have who've been vaccinated. There's some reason to believe the vaccines could be more protective than just immunity acquired through natural infection from Delta. That's going to be a critical question we need to figure out in the coming weeks, because we have some important policy decisions that we'll need to make, depending on the answer. Well, the latest infection we heard of overnight was in the state of Connecticut, where you live. And it looks like that individual has a connection back to that New York City convention that happened around uh, mid-November. Is that now a super spreader event? I mean, for, for gatherings of that size in New York, you have to go through some screenings. They do require vaccination. Is this indicating to you uh, some greater degree of worry than what you were saying last week? Well, look, it's certainly a greater degree of worry hearing these anecdotes. Now, that conference in that convention in New York only required one dose of vaccine. We don't know the quality of the masks that people were wearing. We have to presume most of them are cloth masks, which aren't going to provide a very high degree of protection against something that's airborne like this. And we also have to keep in mind that we hear the anecdotes of the super spreader events like this. We have a single introduction in a lot of cases coming out of it. What we don't hear about are all the situations where someone with this new variant came into contact with people and there wasn't any forward transmission because those don't get reported because there's no cases that result. So I think we, we need to be careful about over-interpreting these events. Now, that said, it's concerning when you see a single introduction into a congregate setting and 30 infections resulting from it or more, like we saw in Oslo. That does suggest something that's clearly airborne and looks more like measles than like the flu. In South Africa, you were also seeing a spike in hospitalizations of those under the age of five. For parents like me, how concerned do we need to be? Yeah, that's concerning. I mean, overall, about 11 percent of the hospitalizations have been under the age of two. Um, and if you if you look a little above that, about, I think, below the age of nine, about almost 20 percent of hospitalizations in some of the hospitals 
Um, it's confounded by the fact that they're having a very big flu epidemic also in South Africa right now. And when a toddler presents to the hospital with a respiratory illness, what I'm told by physicians on the ground is that they make a presumptive diagnosis of COVID, even if the, if, even if the kid doesn't test positive for COVID out of an abundance of caution. So there may be some overreporting of COVID positives when it comes to very young children, but that's concerning. And we have to surmise that the kids are sort of a preserved population. They haven't had Delta infection at the same rate as adults. And they also haven't been vaccinated because they haven't rolled out vaccines right. to children below the age of 12 in any appreciable numbers. So, you know, the kids are a more vulnerable population to any new variant. Uh, the president said no more lockdowns. He said he wants schools to try to stay open. Does the administration need to look at getting vaccine manufacturers to kind of reboot the existing vaccine to chase these mutations in the new variant? Yeah, look, the companies are doing that. Pfizer, the company I'm on the board of, is doing that, and they're going to start some manufacturing of that to be ready. This is going to be a really critical decision because what we've seen in the past, for example, when we engineered a vaccine to specifically target 1351, the old South African variant, was that vaccine worked well or appeared to work well against 1351, but didn't appear to provide as good coverage against all the other variants. And there's reason to believe that as you develop vaccines that are very specific to some of these new variants, they may not work as well against the full complement of different variants that we've seen. Mm -hmm. So you want to try to stick with the ancestral strain, the Wuhan strain, in, in the vaccine, I think, as long as possible. What happens is as the virus mutates, it probably starts to hide some of the viral targets on its surface. And so you get a vaccine that doesn't provide as broad immunity to the full complement of targets on its surface. So you get a more narrow vaccine. And we'll hear from the World Health Organization later in the program, but I know they have suggested changing the vaccine could add to the issue of inequity around the world that we are seeing. Um, they have said that it is all about available supply. That is the key problem they see on the African continent. Last Sunday, you told us of the eight countries under the U.S. travel ban, five of them had turned down shipments from Pfizer. We know Johnson & Johnson also said their shipments were turned down because the supply in at least South Africa, that, you know, their coffers were full. Um, exactly what is the problem here? Like, why is the donation pile that the White House says they are making, not getting where it needs to go. And the White House has said the same thing, that the donations from the White House have been turned down as well. Look, there was a point in time when there was inadequate supply and the supply wasn't flowing into these countries. We're at a point right now where there is a lot of supply. Pfizer's pledged to donate 2 billion doses. Um, and there's, we have to do the hard work of getting the infrastructure into the ground, that all, on the ground. It also includes getting sophisticated technology into some of these regions, like the cold chain storage that's required. I think this is where the WHO could be pro providing more global leadership. Um, it's largely a political body. It's not on the ground. We need to do some kind of heavy lift capability to get resources into some of these countries so they have the logistical capacity to distribute these vaccines. You know, going into next year, we were probably going to be oversupplied with the vaccine. That equation may change now that we have this new variant and it's going to increase the premium on boosters. But regardless, I still think we're going to have enough supply to distribute it equitably around the globe. And it's going to be a question of getting shots in arms on the ground. Mm -hmm. President Biden himself said that vaccine offers had been turned down, um, but he did talk about logistics. I want to ask you about something Chelsea Clinton tweeted, though, uh, which I thought was interesting. I know you've seen it. She said, we cannot donate our way out of the pandemic. We need tech transfers and investments to enable the world to vaccinate itself. Why does the White House continue the drip drip donation approach rather than provide the global leadership to the world? Is she right? 
Well, look, I can't speak for the White I can't speak for the White House. We do need to get capacities into these countries so this isn't a recurrent problem. I mean, if COVID's going to be a long battle and it's going to be a, a recurrent virus that continues to mutate, countries need to have the capacity to, to deal with it on their own with global assistance, but not have to be so dependent upon Western nations. Pfizer's work to get a manufacturing facility into South Africa. They've partnered with a local company there. So you are seeing efforts like that take root, where there's, they've also donated the patents to the UN patent pool on the orally available drug. And the U.N. is going to turn to Indian manufacturers to manufacture that for local, low- and middle-income countries. So you are seeing efforts like that take shape. Merck's done the same thing with their oral pill. J&J has gotten manufacturing into South Africa. We need more of that. There's no question about that. But I think that's going to come through business collaborations and private collaborations directly between some of these countries and the companies. Uh, I don't think it's dependent upon marching rights and sort of taking away intellectual property. I think there's ways to partner these efforts and get the support of the Western manufacturers to build out resources in local Local markets. Well, we'll watch for that and we'll get some uh, answers from the World Health Organization shortly. Thank you, Dr. Gottlieb. Face the Nation will be back in a minute with the governor of Connecticut. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors, like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream, are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings, or the midnight munchies, yeah. You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Connecticut is now one of 16 states in the U.S. with a confirmed case of Omicron. Plus, they are seeing a spike in Delta cases. And we want to bring in now the governor of that state, Ned Lamont, who joins us from Stanford. Good morning to you, Governor. Um, Good morning, Margaret. I want to ask you about this news uh, that you released overnight that now Omicron is in your state. Is there any indication on exactly how widespread it is? I know in the release your office put out, it did indicate the individual was inoculated. Did he receive or she receive a booster shot? Um, I'm not sure about the booster shot. I do know that the uh, uh, patient uh, was immunized and over the age of 60. I think sometimes there's too much emphasis upon the infection. The good news is on the vaccination. Um, in this case, the patient is at home resting peacefully and uh, no need to go to the hospital. And that's one of the key things that the vaccines we know are effective at. So thus far, the indication is a mild type of infection. Is that right? Exactly. So yep. you, you are situated between two major cities, Boston and New York. We know Omicron's in both places. How concerned are you that this is a wider infection in your state right now? I'm concerned. Uh, look, 
Omicron is coming up from New York on the I-95 corridor, but Delta is coming down from New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, and uh, no state is an island and no country is an island. So good news is we have 95% of our folks over the age of 12 have had um, some vaccine. So um, I think we are prepared, and I'd like to think that um, we're not going to have the surge in hospitals you see in some less vaccinated states. Well, you are having some surge, as you mentioned there, from Delta right now. Um, given that you already have that, it's holiday season time and people gather, are you going to issue new restrictions? Should people call off holiday parties? Are you going to mandate mask wearing? I think right now the people of Connecticut have been through this for a year and a half. They're doing the right thing. Like I said, they're overwhelmingly uh, getting uh, vaccinated. They're more likely to wear a mask and do the right thing. So they don't need me pushing. But there's no question about it, um, especially folks of a certain age. Uh, stay out of uh, in a contagious situations. We just don't know enough about this variant. Be careful. When it comes to the most vulnerable, those living in assisted living facilities, uh, why don't you mandate a booster shot? That's a, that's a good question. Look, we got hit hard in nursing homes, as did everybody else. I mean, the good news is that um, we brought the boosters back to all the nursing homes. Overwhelmingly, the residents have uh, gotten their booster, but we don't have as many of the nurses getting their booster. You say, why don't you, um, you know, mandate that, Margaret? The balancing act is we're having a hard time keeping nurses, getting nurses in the nursing homes. Some wings are closing down and they're turning back some patients. So I got to get the right balance. But good news is, I think, is that overwhelmingly, well over 90% of those nurses at least got their first two shots. Why are they leaving? Is it exhaustion or is it something to do with the vaccine? I think we're just having a hard time, you know, hiring in general. A lot of folks are hesitant. I think there's some hesitancy in terms of nurses at hospitals, nurses at, um, um, at the nursing homes as well. Uh, look, we're at 95% capacity, but it's a balancing act. You want to make sure you keep people working, but you want them working safely. Mm -hmm. You have given schools in your state uh, the option of using a screen and stay system. It's like the, the test and stay system. We, we heard President Biden say he would like the CDC to look at for parents uh, who would be able to test their child and send them into the classroom, not automatically quarantine them if they have a direct exposure to someone else with COVID. What's your advice to nervous parents when they hear this kind of strategy being adopted? Why do you think it has worked in Connecticut? Uh, we opened our schools almost universally a year ago, September. Our schools were some of the safest places to be. Now, uh, a year and a half later, 90 plus percent of all of our teachers are vaccinated. We're getting five through 11 um, vaccinated. What I didn't want to have happen, uh, Margaret, was, um, uh oh, there was somebody exposed at home. Let's quarantine the whole class or the whole grade for a period of time. So that's why we came up with, look, if you're not showing symptoms, uh, come back into the classroom. Um, well, we'll wait for the CDC to issue its guidelines. They haven't yet on how to implement that for other states. You were pretty critical of the CDC and its language when it came to booster shots. You said at one point the CDC speaks Latin. They're just hard to understand exactly what they're trying to tell you to do. Um, are you seeing much improvement in communication from them? Are you getting enough guidance from the White House itself? Are they briefing you? 
I get plenty of uh, briefings from the White House. I think they're really good. But I would say to the CDC, you've got to be consistent and you've got to be clear and you've got to keep it simple. Early on when it came to the boosters, early on when it came to the vaccines, there were five pages of small print about who's an essential worker and what's an appropriate comorbidity if you smoked in high school. My God, that included <laughs> two thirds of the people I knew. So you had to be a little stricter. Uh, you had to be a little clearer and simpler if you want people to get, um, get their boosters. So early on, we said, 18 and over. It was more than six months ago you got your last uh, shot. Get the booster. People are coming in. It's simple and easy for them to understand. And ha have you seen an uptick in booster shots since news of Omicron first broke? Absolutely. Uh, look, we've tried a lot of incentives to get people vaccinated. You know, you had a drinks on us. Other people did lotteries. Nothing uh, gets people vaccinated and booster like a fear of another variant coming. And uh, so that's a good thing in the sense that we have more and more of our people getting the booster. Every, you know, not everybody, the vast majority of people over the 65 have not only had their two shots, but also had their um, booster mm -hmm. as well. That's a big plus. Build some defenses for us. All right. Governor, thank you very much for your time. And we'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation. So stay with us. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We go now to the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be with you today. Oh, thank you for joining us. We wake up and at least 16 states now have this new variant, Omicron, detected. Um, many are seemingly to be around the vaccinated, not clear if they all were boosted. Do we know how widespread this infection is in the U.S.? Well, we're still learning a lot about the Omicron variant. We've detected a couple of dozen cases here in the United States. There are a number of countries around the world which have now found Omicron. But this is actually the pattern that we see with these variants. They start and they're discovered in one place and then they quickly spread around the world. The important thing is as we work hard to gain answers to the three critical questions about Omicron, about its transmissibility, its severity, and its response to our vaccines and therapeutics, it's critical that people know we do have tools that we can use right now to protect ourselves against this variant and against the Delta variant, which is still the predominant variant in the United States. And those include 
getting vaccinated, getting boosted. But you know, the public's exhausted at this point. Um, are people going into the holidays safe to, to travel? The president did uh, say infections are going to go up. Masks are required while in transit. But what do you tell someone who just bought a ticket to go away for Christmas? Should they cancel their plans? Well, first, I understand that fatigue. You know, we've been at this for 22 months as a country, and the prospect of another variant I know can be exhausting and frustrating to many people out there. Uh, and, I, and I get that. What I want to say, though, uh, to everyone is that we are not back in March 2020. We are not at the beginning of this pandemic back at square one. Uh, we have learned a tremendous amount about how to gather safely. Just take this thing, last Thanksgiving, for example. Uh, think about Halloween this year. Uh, I took my children to treating for Halloween. Many families mm -hmm. gathered uh, for Thanksgiving, things that they didn't do last year. Right, we and a surge is, is expected on the back end of that. Use well, what we do know is that if people use the tools that we have, uh, that you can actually gather with much, much less risk. Uh, but the concern and the ch challenge we have right now in the country, Margaret, is that we have millions of people who are still unvaccinated, which poses a risk to their lives, but also poses an increased risk of transmission. Uh, but if you do as many families did, you get vaccinated and boosted, you use testing judiciously before you gather, you gather in well-ventilated spaces and use masks mm -hmm. whenever you can in public indoor spaces, your risk can be quite low and your holidays can be quite fulfilling. That's what so many families experience this past Thanksgiving. For Americans at home right now, should they just put on their cloth mask or do they need to go buy an N95 because of these new variants and expected mm. uptick? Well, what we've seen throughout uh, the, the COVID pandemic is, you know, better quality masks offer you better quality protection. You know, if you wear a cloth mask properly, uh, you know, then you can you can get a lot of protection. If you, you know, upgrade to a KN95 or an N95 in certain circumstances, that can give you even more protection. There are dozens of countries that now have this Omicron variant. The only region of the world under a U.S. travel ban are eight countries in Africa. Uh, that doesn't really seem fair. Why? single out South Africa and its neighboring countries? Well, I'm glad you asked. And so let's talk about this. This was put in place, these restrictions in travel first, because there were a growing number, a rapid growing number of cases that were found in South Africa. And the travel restrictions, they don't permanently keep the variant out. We know that. Uh, what travel restrictions can it's do here. is buy you uh, some time. They can buy you some time to do important things. And what are the important things? But that we I have, I've heard this from particular. the White House, uh, respectfully. To, but m my question, mm -hmm. though, is what we learned at the beginning of this pandemic. China is put under a travel ban. Meanwhile, in the back door, travelers are coming in from Europe, bringing in COVID. That was one of the facts established when we looked at pandemic preparedness. You only right now have a travel ban on eight countries in southern Africa. The rest of the world is still traveling in. Omicron is already here. So if it's a question of fairness, it's either all countries get banned or lift the ban. And you have scientists in South Africa saying this is discriminatory. Well, again, Margaret, if you look at this, we're in a very different situation than we were in the beginning of the pandemic when travel restrictions were put in place. And one of the big differences, Margaret, is that we have <clears throat> travel measures, safety measures that actually are helping reduce the risk. And those include guaranteeing that people get on international flights are vaccinated and pre-travel testing. Now, we use the time to actually strengthen those travel measures. The CDC announced that it's going to be shortening that window to 24 hours. We use that time to vaccinate millions of more Americans. But listen, the bottom line is these are meant to be temporary measures. Nobody wants them to be on for any longer than they need to be. 
And that's why we're continuously reevaluating them so that we can get them off as soon as it's appropriate. Just before I let you go, the World Health Organization is called Booster Shots, a scandal that must stop now, saying they're unfair, unjust, immoral. How do you justify having that as a centerpiece of your policy? You know, our job is both to protect uh, people in America and to protect also obviously uh, the world from a global pandemic. But the data is very clear that getting a booster shot increases your protection. And we've got to do both, Margaret, both boost people here and make sure that the rest of the world has vaccines. And this is exactly, in fact, what we're doing. It's why the U.S. has committed more than a billion doses. It's why we're investing in strengthening uh, local infrastructure, training healthcare workers around the world, including the African subcontinent, supporting mobile units to get vaccines where people are, and supporting public education efforts. We will continue to do that, but we've got to do both, Margaret, protect our population with boosters and make sure the rest of the world can get protected with vaccines as well. Dr. Murthy, thank you very much for your time. The World Health Organization on Friday called the Omicron situation a fast and furious one. For more now, we go to Dr. Maria Van Kerkhoven, epidemiologist and COVID-19 technical lead for the WHO. Good morning, doctor. Hi, Margaret, nice to be on your program again. Uh, nice to have you there from Geneva. I know there's a little bit of a delay. Uh, do you have any indication yet on whether Omicron causes more severe disease? So our data that we have on severity of Omicron is coming in uh, by the day. Uh, we do know that people who are infected with the Omicron variant can have mild disease all the way through severe disease. Initial reports suggest um, that people with Omicron tend to have more mild disease, but it's too early to tell. And the reason for that is because it takes time for people to go through the full course of their infection. It may take some weeks before we actually understand how many of those individuals will go on to develop severe disease. Um, so we do see that full spectrum. Um, but even if it is a mild disease, it's important that we still act fast now to take measures to control its spread, because even if we have a large number of cases that are mild, um, some of those individuals will need hospitalizations, they will need to be uh, go into ICU, and some people will die. And so more cases can mean more hospitalizations, more hospitalizations can mean more deaths. And we don't want to see that happen on top of an already difficult situation with Delta circulating globally. More measures, take more health protective measures. Exactly what does that mean? I know the WHO has uh, cautioned against travel right now. So there's different types of measures that we're talking about. If we're talking to governments right now, our uh, message to governments is don't wait to act. Everything that we need to do for Delta will benefit Omicron, no matter how this variant unfolds. It's not just the emergence of a new variant of concern like Omicron. The big question is whether or not Omicron will outcompete Delta. Remember, Delta is dominant, and that's an, and it's an extremely dangerous variant. So we want governments to act now to take measures to increase vaccination coverage among those who are most at risk in all countries, as well as take measures to drive down transmission. This is about having policies in place to reduce the spread, um, wearing of a mask, physical distancing, improving ventilation, supporting people to work from home who can, and making sure you take measures to keep yourself safe when it comes to gatherings. There's a lot of things that people can do to reduce the risk of spread when they come into contact with others. We've seen that the virus is flourishing among the unvaccinated. COVAX is the part of the World Health Organization initiative that, that was supposed to avoid vaccine inequity. Um, 
it's not meeting its own goals. Why isn't the international system getting vaccines to the people who need them? It's an excellent question, Margaret. I think there's a combination of factors of why uh, COVAX has not had access to the vaccine to be able to distribute those to those who are most at risk in all countries. It's a matter of um, having enough production. It's a matter of having the deals in place with manufacturers, with the companies that are producing these vaccines um, to be able to get those to the countries who need them most. I think, you know, if we look at uh, one year of use of safe and effective vaccines for COVID-19, it is an absolute triumph that we actually have so many safe and effective vaccines that keep people alive, prevent severe infection, and prevent deaths. But the failure to actually deliver those around the world is, is catastrophic. Um, and COVAX and partners, all of the partners within COVAX have been working hard to do that. But, but countries actually need access to the vaccine itself. But why isn't COVAX, the UN, the WHO, able to do that last mile delivery and help with the logistics you say are so badly needed? So it's not even about the last mile. I mean, what we need are countries to be able to purchase the vaccines themselves. We need companies to be able to allow us to purchase those vaccines through COVAX. We need those donations to be given through COVAX so that they can be allocated to those who need them most. Countries are working very hard right now on the actual delivery systems once they have access to those vaccines in hand. We have been working with country partners around the world um, in ministries uh, themselves to be able to deliver once those vaccines come online. But we need to know when the vaccines will be available. It's not just about you can have X number of vaccines in the next month. But you have to plan to be able to have to be ready to deliver those. And it's not right. just about waiting for the leftovers. This is not even just about equity. It's, it's the most epidemiologically sound thing to do ethically sound thing to do and economically sound thing to do. And right. it's just not happening. But uh, there's frustration in the world, though, because these international systems are supposed to help implement all of these things. We hear from the White House consistently that that the United States has shipped for free more vaccines around the world than all other countries in the world combined. They told us 273 million of U.S. taxpayer dollars spent to help train healthcare workers in Southern Africa. That the White House says it's donated 100 million vaccine doses to countries on the African continent. So we in America are being told there is an effort. Why isn't that getting to people in need? Why can't the WHO do more? Well, frankly, it's not enough, and we need it from more countries. So we are incredibly grateful for what the United States has delivered, but we need that from other leaders around the world. Um, we can't have enough. Uh, we, this is a global problem that we're seeing uh, yes. with this pandemic, with the Delta variant, with the emergence of the Omicron variant. We need more, um, and it's not a failure of COVAX. Uh, to be able to deliver. The failure is the ability to have access to those vaccines to deliver. Um, it's more than just uh, rhetoric. What we need are the, to be able to purchase them ourselves, to have to get in line, to get ahead of the line, so that the, those vaccines can actually go to those countries in need. You know, don't get me wrong. What the United States is doing, uh, we are very grateful for, but we need much more of it, and we need it from around the world. You can't protect only one country while right. the rest of the world suffers. That is not how we are going to get out of this pandemic. I, I, on that point, I know the World Health Organization has said that you view booster shots as unfair because people are getting another dose here while in the rest of the world they're still waiting. We heard from the White House argue against that and say both things can be done at the same time. 
why don't you think both things can be done at the same time? Because it has an impact on production. It has an impact on supply. So our argument is that people around the world who are most at risk need their first and second doses before others get more doses. Um, many people in the world are, are protected, very well protected against severe disease and death. And adding another booster on top of that at the expense of others in other countries is what we're saying is, is unjust, it's unfair, it's not right. Um, and so you can do both, but it has an impact. Mm -hmm. It has an impact on supply. Um, and there's no okay. other way around that. Doctor, thank you very much for your work and your time today. We're going to go now to Francis D'Souza, CEO of Illumina, a company that identifies and tracks COVID variants through genomic sequencing. Good morning to you. Hello there. From what you are seeing, um, the $2 billion that U.S. taxpayers just helped allocate towards improving sequencing in this country. Is America better now than we were at the start of this pandemic at figuring out exactly where the virus and the variants are? Yeah, we're making uh, progress, and we we're in a lot different position than we were at the beginning of the pandemic. And certainly even a year ago, we were sequencing very little in terms of the positives that we were seeing in this country. But over the last year, we started to see sequencing infrastructure being rolled out. Uh, and now, if you look at the course of the all of 2021, we're probably we've probably sequenced over the course of 2020 on about 3% of the positives that we've seen this year. Now, best practice is to do between 5 and 10%. Uh, but if you look at the last three months, we're now in that 5 to 10% range. So I think overall, we're starting to get the right amount of sequencing done in the U.S. The challenge is that it's very variable across the states. And so you have some states that are close to 30% of positives, and you have some states that are closer to 1%. And so overall, I think uh, we have the capacity we need. It's just that we clearly have blind spots in parts of the country where we need to do more. And to that point, in the United Kingdom, within 48 hours of uh, the, the first cases, uh, they knew um, you know, after South Africa sounded the alarm, the UK detected they had Omicron on their shores. Here in the United States, it was out of Minnesota. It took a week of time to pass between when the patient was tested and state health officials in Minnesota confirmed it. Why are we slower? Isn't that more dangerous? It absolutely is, and you want to be you want to be ahead of this. There's no question that the UK specifically uh, has been one of the leaders in terms of rolling rolling out a a global. Uh, genomics epidemiological infrastructure. Uh, so they have been doing surveillance uh, since April of 2020. So they were one of the first countries in the world to recognize the value of doing genomic sequencing mm -hmm. of the positives, and identifying how the virus was mutating. And so they started in, in April of 2020. And frankly, not many other countries followed until December of 2020, when we started to see new, uh, new variants emerge. And it became clear that there was huge value in understanding how this virus was right. mutating, that we needed to understand it so we could track how it was spreading, but also to know if the tools we were using to fight the pandemic, the vaccines, the diagnostics, the therapies, whether they were still going to be effective. Right. In terms of how this virus mutated, there's speculation that it either jumped back and forth between animals and humans or that there was something unique to uh, its mutation within immunocompromised individuals. Do you have any insight into why Omicron seems to be so uniquely threatening? Yeah, what really is surprising about the, uh, the genome of, of this variant 
is that it is so heavily mutated. So we have over 50 new mutations, 30 of which are in the S gene, which, which makes the S protein. And, and that's important. But, but the fact that there are so many that we haven't seen before, coming from a virus that only mutates two to three times a month tells us that it's been somewhere mutating for a long time and we haven't seen it. And so there are a number of hypotheses. One, it could have been uh, as part of a chronic illness that somebody who was perhaps immunocompromised had over a year. And so they weren't ever really able to clear the virus. Uh, and so they had it and it was mutating. And then for some reason, uh, it started transmitting again over the last couple of weeks. Or it could have been, as you said, you know, transmitted to an animal, it, uh, mutated there, and then come back into humans. Or it could have been uh, circulating in a part of the global population that's uh, just not being sequenced. And so we're trying to figure out you know, where it was for so long mutating uh, undetected. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's important is that the mutations we're seeing, the 30 mutations in the, on the uh, S gene are important because the S gene codes for the S protein, and that's important for two reasons. One, that is how the virus interacts with human cells and gets into human cells. And, right. and we've seen with other variants of concerns that certain mutations make uh, variants more transmissible. And so there's an indication, and we're seeing that with some of the early data, that this variant might be more transmissible. But the right. second reason it's important is that the uh, S protein is actually a target for some of the vaccines. And so the question now is, is it mutated enough that it would escape some of the vaccines? Right, and we will be watching what the South African scientists find on that, uh, of course. In this country though, do you think there is a national strategy to go along with the money, we talked about the two billion, uh, to improve sequencing? I think we're starting to put it together. Clearly, there wasn't at the beginning of the pandemic. And there are lots of elements of a national strategy that are essential. So, you know, one sort of understanding, you know, what are we trying to shoot for in terms of a percentage of positives that, that we want to sequence? Two, how is that going to happen? So how are the samples going to go from, you know, clinics where testing is happening to labs that can do the sequencing? And those connections needed to be, to mm -hmm. be made. And then there's got to be more work around, you know, how yeah. is the data going to be shared? And so all of that, it, I think there are ideas and they're being put together, okay. but there's still work being done to get it together. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. D'Souza, for your time this morning. We'll be back in a moment. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Decorum and politics have never been synonymous, but our John Dickerson takes a look at why decorum in politics has gone from bad to worse. 
In May of 1984, Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill was furious with Congressman Newt Gingrich. And you challenged their Americanism, and it's the lowest thing that I've ever seen in my 32 years in Congress. Mr. Speaker, if I may reclaim my time. His remarks were quickly stricken from the record because personal attacks are not allowed on the House floor. The standards of decorum were so strict, the most powerful member of the body took the rebuke, the first of a speaker since 1798. House and Senate rules keep passionate debates from devolving into personal insults because serious work can't be done by people acting like children. On their own time, though, members can say what they will. And recently, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert did. On at least two occasions, she made bigoted slurs against Muslim Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. And there she is, Ilhan Omar. And I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine. Well, look at there, it's the Jihad Squad. The problem for democracy is not just one member's actions, but that this behavior is applauded, as it was in Boebert's case. When opponents are seen as the enemy, crassness, once seen as a lack of character, is considered the right artillery. Congressman Paul Gosar can promote a video in which a cartoon version of himself kills Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. If party leaders respond by doing more than privately wrinkling a brow, these empowered members aim their followers at them, as they did Republican colleagues who voted on bipartisan legislation with Democrats. South Carolina Republican Representative Nancy Mace was one of the few voices in her party to speak out, criticizing Boebert's racist tropes. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene attacked Mace as trash and said Boebert was just speaking for the party's voters. Party leaders agree, which is why they stay mum. They need those voters in 2022 to win back control. But what happens when they do? We've seen this movie before. Members who win attention styling themselves as the most pure turn on their leaders when those leaders try to govern. When Speaker Newt Gingrich resigned, he railed against cannibals in his own party. And Speaker John Boehner used a term for these members that Boebert would recognize. He called them political terrorists. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Happy Hanukkah to all who celebrate. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy, Governor of Connecticut Ned Lamont, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, the WHO COVID-19 Technical Lead Dr. Maria Van Perkel, and the CEO of Illumina, Francis D'Souza. The executive producer of Face the Nation's Mary Hager. The broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation's also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 10.30 a.m., 1 p.m., and 4 p.m. Eastern, every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. When you're committed to raising the standard, you're bound to ruffle some feathers. At Happy Egg, we like to say we farm differently. But in reality, we produce eggs the way people used to, by partnering with local small family farmers who raise our happy hens on eight or more acres. Because in our opinion, farming shouldn't be complicated. It should be happy. Choose happy with Happy Egg. Visit happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg.
Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.